Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. As the 1970s turned to the 1980s, Spectacular Bid more than lived up to his name, proving himself to be a timeless great, despite the sometimes dubious efforts of the colourful characters who looked after him. Decades come and decades go, but with hindsight, rose-tinted or otherwise, we can be confident in saying that the 1970s truly were a golden age of US horse racing, with timeless champion after timeless champion gracing their numerous tracks and displaying much evidence to suggest that the North American breeding programme and bloodlines had now overtaken the Europeans. Finishing off the decade in style was Spectacular Bid, an unassuming-looking colt who was anything but unassuming when he ran. By the decent stakes winner Bold Bidder, out of Spectacular, Spectacular Bid was bought as a yearling for $37,000 at the Keeneland sales by Harry Meyerhoff on behalf of his Hawksworth farm in Maryland, and sent to the yard of the never-shy Grover Delp, known as Bud. Bud Delp saw plenty of mileage in his charge, and sent him out nine times as a two-year-old, usually ridden by teenager Ronnie Franklin. The highlight was winning the Laurel Futurity over eight and a half furlongs in a track record, very rare for an ever-maturing two-year-old. His fourth place in the Tyro Stakes at Monmouth Park in hideously sloppy conditions was the only time he ever finished out of the top three in his career, and he was clear champion two-year-old. Jockey Franklin, at only four foot seven inches, had predictably been picked on at school, but had learned to toughen up, meaning he displayed disproportionate strength. Bud noticed this, encouraging the teenager to take up riding, and mentored him. Franklin only rode his first race early during Spectacular Bid's first season. He was green, but no one doubted his self-confidence or his work ethic, only his occasional bouts of anger. Meanwhile, the Bid, an unusual-looking grey in that he looked silver if the sun caught his back, but almost black when caked in sweat after a run, hit the ground running at three, with Delp amazingly squeezing in five races, three at grade one, before his Triple Crown bid. These included the Florida Derby and Bluegrass Stakes. In the former, he overcame all sorts of traffic problems, which an angry Delp placed squarely at Franklin's feet, but he stuck by the jockey nonetheless. The bid passed each test with flying colours, with each race slightly longer than the last to prepare him for the ten furlongs of the Kentucky Derby. Delp, meanwhile, was not doing much to win the crowds over to his horse boasting even at this stage that Spectacular Bid was the greatest horse ever to look through a bridle. For a racing public that had just seen three Triple Crown winners in six years, this didn't land so well. Even so, Spectacular Bid started at 5-3 to three on favourite, with Delp, allergic it seems to humility, going to punters beforehand and shouting, Go bet! Go bet! Sure enough, the bid confirmed his superiority over his rivals by dispatching General Assembly by just shy of three lengths. Intriguingly, it would be the last time that the favourite would win the run for the Roses in the 20th century. Starting next at a prohibitive 10-1 to 1 on, 
the Preakness stakes proved even more decisive, where the easy-going Colts burst from the back saw him crush the opposition by five and a half lengths in one of the fastest times ever for the race, despite Franklin taking him incredibly wide for much of it, which he blamed on fellow jockey Angel Cordero Jr., with whom some bad blood was developing. He was still easing up before the line. Regardless, the uber-talented horse was more than living up to his name. Franklin and Cordero, meanwhile, got into full-blown fisticuffs just two weeks later when they were called in by the stewards to cool down, then left the room and did it all over again. Just a year after Affirmed, and two after Seattle Slew, the stage was all set for the Belmont Stakes and the coronation of the third successive Triple Crown winner. Even Franklin got in on the Confidence Act, claiming that victory was a cinch. Yet, the records will show that he didn't win. Sweating and edgy before the off, but nevertheless leading from early on in the Belmont's interminable backstretch, the bid, tired, was reeled in and cast aside by Coastal in the home stretch, and then collared by Golden Act at the death. Both were horses that he regularly beat, or would regularly beat, and the controversy still rages as to why and how he lost. Three excuses did the round. Delps was nothing less random than a safety pin which his champion had allegedly stepped on that morning, yet he had shown no sign of lameness in the run-up to the race, although he was sore the following day. There were suggestions, too, that he simply didn't stay 12 furlongs, and seeing as his only subsequent defeat would also be over that distance, it certainly had more merit. But looking again at the race now, the most obvious reason is the one that all the racing analysts at the time instinctively believed that Franklin, riding an utterly different race to the first two legs where he had dropped his mount well back, simply pushed spectacular bid too hard too soon, and unnecessarily so for a horse of unknown stamina, leaving the tank empty at the business end. There were strong suggestions too that Delp had asked him to do so in order to do a secretariat. It was one of the great what-might-have-beens of US racing, and it ended poorly for Franklin who both lost the ride and then, after a rapid descent into substance abuse, his jockey's license. The mount now went to US riding legend Bill Shoemaker, who rode him four more times that year, easily winning three, including a 17-length slaughter of his opponents in an allowance race at Delaware Park, and coming a fine second to affirmed in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, showing again that he just didn't last home the mile and a half. He was never to lose again, just as tellingly, in the Marlborough Cup back at Belmont, he trounced Coastal and Golden Act, the two horses who had beaten him in that final, infamous Triple Crown race. But at four, as with so many racing legends, he found a way to get better still, cementing his place as an all-time great. He won every one of his nine races, sticking mainly to his unbeatable distance of nine or ten furlongs. Although he matched or beat the track record eight times in his career, it was in the Charles Strub Stakes at Santa Anita that he delivered his masterpiece. Off a blistering pace, he still found a way to accelerate and ran a mind-blowing 1 minute 57 and 4 fifth seconds, a 10 furlong dirt world record that still stands to this day. Crushing top-level victories continued around California and Arlington often under top weight, and never getting anywhere near being beaten. 
as his regular starting price of 20 to 1 on would suggest. The final backhanded compliment arrived for his swan song, when literally not one horse was prepared to take him on in the Grade 1 Woodward Stakes. This hadn't happened for 32 years in a top-level race in the US, when Citation won the Pimlico Special, and there has not been one since. That, as much as anything, summed up his stratospheric reputation. Shoemaker kidded that it was the race that he was most nervous of, as he would never hear the end of it if he fell off. More tellingly for the jockey of such legends as Damascus, Swaps and Forgo, Shoemaker was adamant that Spectacular Bid was the best he'd ever ridden. He was also the last US horse to be rated a champion at 2, 3 and 4. A less than great career as a stallion ensued. He produced a good share of winners, but expectations were sky high. Not least as he had been syndicated for a head-turning $22 million. Many of his progeny, for some reason, were very late maturers, which never helps in the impatient world of horse racing. He maintained a steady stream of visitors, though, and would always be willing to interact with them in exchange for his favourite food, a jelly donut. When he finally passed away on the 9th of June 2003, he wouldn't have been aware that it was 24 years to the day since his infamous Belmont defeat. But he had proved his immense prowess so often since then that those excuses mattered less and less. To find out more about Spectacular Bid and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and share the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.